We had an opportunity over this past year to go on a quest together. And a year ago this week, I defined what a quest was, and I defined it this way. An adventurous expedition undertaken by someone to secure or achieve something, to pursue or search for something with great intensity. So we have been on this journey, and next week we open up our theme for this coming year. But in order for us to remember what the quest was, we need to go back and ask ourselves this question. And I remember sitting here watching you sit in front of me, many of you, some of you weren't here then, and I proposed this question, this statement to you, that I'd be coming back a year later and asking this question, are you still in the same place you were a year ago? Some of you say, yep, same seat, here I am, same people. In fact, nothing's changed. Well, that necessarily isn't a good thing. My hope is that somewhere along this quest journey that God has moved in your heart in a great way, that you've stepped out, that you've taken adventures, that you've tried to reach people in new and fresh ways, that that Sunday a year ago we had this boat here And I came out with it at the end of the service and I handed you a piece of paper. You had a piece of paper and we made some boats and maybe it was the first time you ever made a paper boat. And then you wrote something on this paper boat, something that you were going to burn and say, I'm all in for this year. And you wrote something that you felt like you needed to overcome, something that you needed to break through of with the Lord's help. And we put them in the boats and then we took them outside and we burned them. And we said, God, we're all in. We're, we, we are on this quest. We are on this journey. There's no turning back. Let me ask you a question. Has God given you breakthrough? Have you seen those things come to fruition? Our hope is yes. And I believe that many of those things have taken place. Hundreds of you made commitments. And even this past year, We had 39 goals for the coming year that we've been on this journey. Our elders had prayed for those regularly. We divided them up into groups of five, six apiece, and we read them and we prayed through them. They've been on our wall and week after week, Sunday after Sunday, we've prayed for them on Sunday morning. You've had them on your coffee cups. You've seen them on the wall and we've watched God answer these questions and these statements and and these goals that have been placed ahead of us. And in fact, I have these goals in front of me. I don't have time to go through all of them. But as we look back, one of our goals this for this past year was this, celebrate 1,000 people trusting in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So I get to come forward a year later and say this, through the ministries and individuals of Grace Community Church, we have seen God exceed 1,000 people coming to Jesus Christ at Grace Community Church. Yeah, we can praise the Lord for that. One of our, one of our goals was secure and acquire an off-campus option to allow life on life to take place with attendees to deepen friendships and relationships. Traveling home on a cold, cold uh, January morning from a basketball game in Jimtown, I received a text from a person that we had been praying for for over four and a half years to secure this piece of property. And by God's grace, and because of him answering this goal, we have secured, it's alive and well, the lodge in Syracuse. We can praise God for that. 
We prayed and we asked that a thousand men and a thousand women would go through our fight club, Remarkable Women training camp and together groups. And this past year, we've seen over a thousand men and a thousand women go through the training. We can praise God for that. We've asked that we would become the most generous church on planet earth where every person literally gives at least 10% of their money to the kingdom initiatives so that people can be one to Christ. Even on Christmas Eve this year, we again took all of our offerings that night and over $32,000 was given to individuals in our community so that we could show them that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus. Tons more. I have not enough time. One of the goals was 250 more attendees become passport owners so they can be ready at a moment's notice to take the gospel to the nation if God calls them. We have seen and we have witnessed, and I know of stories of individuals who bought a passport, they went on mission trips, and I know of an individual now and his wife that bought a passport and are on their way towards a missions trip. We've seen people getting ready. We've also added this goal, add the brightest, godliest, hardest working, best fitted new teammates to assist further growth and and vision. Over this past year, we've seen God do that. We've hired Pastor Tannen. We've hired Pastor Jordan. We've had hired Natalie Replogle, Anita Shank, and Ken Swartz to our team. Great, 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 loving, passionate Christ followers. Our last goal was obviously this one. Let God station us strategically so that every person that calls grace their home church can become a mooring point of hope for people far from God and see every attendee lead one person to a life-changing relationship with Jesus and usher in the rapture of the church. The rapture hasn't occurred, but we're waiting, Lord, and we're ready, Lord. It's been an incredible year. And so we tried to gather just snapshots of of Grace Community on mission on this quest. And so here is just a little bit of what took place this past year through you at Grace Community as you went on this quest. Take a look at this. Praise God for an incredible 2016. Every picture has a story and every story has people and every person is connected to a relationship. And we watched God work in an incredible way this past year. And we began this journey by asking you some very specific things, how you can be all in. So today's kind of looking and saying, wow, take a look, God, look how you've worked. We want to celebrate that. And we need reminders in our lives. The Old Testament is loaded with reminders. And sometimes in our walks, we just fast forward on to the next thing. And one of the goals I've implemented in my life over the last three years is to celebrate more and to remember what God has done. Instead of just fast forwarding on to the next prayer request, petition, let's look back and let's see. So when we see, when we go back to that memorial, wow, God did that right there. We need reminders so that we can say, if he did that, and if he did that, then imagine what he can do now. Grab your Bibles. We're going to go back and we're going to remember this journey called the quest and turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. Need a Bible? Hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. But turn to 1 Kings 19. We open up this quest journey by asking you, are are you willing to say, I'm in? Stand with me as we read 1 Kings 19, verses 19 to 21. 1 Kings 19, verses 19 to 21. I'll read, you read with me. Ready, read. 
So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I shall come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him, went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people. And they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. You have a seat. So think about this. God was asking and he's still asking, are you ready? Going in means living each day as though it was your last. And so we had this boat, this very one right here. And we brought it out on stage that that Sunday morning. And many of you were able to come into this boat and drop that the, the actual boat that you made. And I, I sat in this boat much like this and I asked you a question. Are you willing to do what Elisha did? Are you willing to say, Lord, I'm all in. I am willing to, to burn, literally, he burned the yoke, the, the plowshare. Are you willing to burn the ship? And so you came and, and you threw it in and we took them outside and you said you were all in. In order for us to begin a new chapter, we must put an end to an old one. So have you? Looking back, have you seen improvement because of the sanctification process in your life? Are there, is there evidence that 2017 is looking different than 2016. And then I told you about these one-way missionaries, missionaries who many years ago would literally take all their belongings, everything they were going to do for mission work, and they would put all their belongings in a coffin. They would get on ships, and they were called one-way missionaries. And they literally packed their coffin with their supplies because they were saying this as they left, we're not coming back. We're going to die where we're at. We're all in where we're at. And you can just bury me there. And there was one missionary by the name that we have come and be, to be familiar with. His name was A.W. Milne. And in a century ago, history tells us that a band of brave souls became known as one-way missionaries. They purchased single tickets to the mission field without the return hat. And instead of suitcases, they packed their few earthly belongings in coffins. As they sailed out of port, they waved goodbye to everyone they loved, everything they knew. They knew they'd never return home. And A.W. Milne was one of those missionaries. He set sail for the South Pacific to reach people who, knowing previously to that were headhunters. Every other missionary that went into where he was at had their head lopped off, but he knew God had called him to that place. And they were martyred before him. Milne did not fear for his life because he had already died to himself. His coffin was packed. For 35 years, history tells us, he lived among that tribe and loved him. And then history tells us this about his life. When he died, tribe members buried him in the middle of their village and inscribed this epitaph on his tombstone. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. Praise God for people like A.W. Milne. So the question is this, are you all in? Have you been all in? Or are you still holding on and and saying, Lord, I'll give this. Keep this in mind. God will never bless anything that's not fully committed to him. 
And so you were reminded, and I was reminded, if we have courage to burn the ships, God will part the water. And by the way, the will of God isn't an insurance plan. It's a dangerous, daring plan. Amen to that? Well, that sounds like you really believe it. Amen to that? Does that sound like you believe it? Amen to that? So like some of you need to wake up. Need to do some calisthenics or something this morning. God wants us to be all in. And the question is, have you been? Has, have you allowed God to work in an incredible way in your life? Then we went to Mark chapter 2. Turn to Mark chapter 2. We're doing an evaluation. You're, today is the test. Today, I said I'd come back. And I'm coming back. Here I am, whether you like it or not. Here it is. Turn to Mark chapter 2. And we'll ask this question to you today. Mark chapter 2. Look at verses 1 through 6. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers, there was no room left, not even, out, even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by how many? Four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. By what? What's it say? Digging through it. Then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. We saw and we were encouraged, and I'm going to say it again, that we shouldn't go alone in our journey. We were built for companionship. We were built for, for, for a company of other people. We were built for community. And so that Sunday morning, some of you might remember, if you were here, we had this mat. And on this mat, we lowered it from the ceiling. And there was a dummy body on the ceiling that came into the service. And I ask you this question, and I will ask you again. Do you have four people that would carry your stretcher? Do you have, in the margins of your Bible, a place that you would say, if I needed someone to get me through, can you name them? Would they come along and drop whatever they're doing? Every woman, every man, every young man and every young woman needs someone who would carry their stretcher. And in this case, they dug a hole in the ceiling. Can you imagine as Jesus was preaching and the plaster began to fall on people and people scattered out of the way as this mat was lowered and the men slowly let the rope down. Now, let me ask you this question. Are you one of those people that are carrying the stretcher for someone else? Would your name come up in conversation when they are down and out? Are you the kind of Christ follower that at a moment's notice would drop anything so that your friend, your brother, your sister could be brought to the presence of Jesus? One act of obedience can turn into someone else's miracle as it was for this man. And life was never meant to be about us only. So do you have four people? The reality is this. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. 
Do you have someone who stands with you shoulder to shoulder, back to back, and said, I will be with you even if we have to storm the gates of hell with squirt guns. I'm coming, and we're going to take it. We need those kind of friends. Here's what I know. Yes, there are times you can go faster alone, but you can go further together. Amen? So the question is, how are you doing? Are you carrying someone's stretcher? Have you allowed yourself to be placed in community? Or are you trying to do life alone? Don't go alone. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We ask this question on this journey. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul gives us a beautiful picture of what kind of weapons that we fight with. 2 Corinthians 10, look at verse 4. Paul says this, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take what? What's the word? How many thoughts? Every thought. Let me just pause and just hit the pause button here. We take captive every thought. Every thought that's a lie against the word of God. Every thought that comes from the father lies that Bible says is Satan. We take them captive and we hold them up and, and say, is this truth or isn't it truth? And if it isn't truth, we demolish him. However, we take thought every, captive every true thought too. Many of us battle more on that side, but we need to cling to truth. Look what it says next. Verse five, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Then I said this to you that Sunday morning. I encourage you to, to, to take thought Every thought captive. And I said these words, show me your thoughts and I'll show you your future. And I said that many have built walls that needed demolished around them. And you've set them up. Instead of taking the thought captive and holding it up against the word of God, is it true or isn't it true? Am I believing a lie? You've allowed these walls in your life to literally... Build a defense mechanism against truth. And so we build a wall. And I reminded you to take them all captive. And then, because of the truth of God's word, we were supposed to demolish them. And the question is this, have you or are you still believing a lie? Are you still allowing these lies from the enemy to box you in and imprison your life? And I said... It is possible to take every thought, every insight that comes your way. And I said this, that the word of God is a wrecking ball. And I had fun and I said, destroy these lies. Break them down, tear them down. Let me ask you a question. How are you doing? Are you taking captive every thought? Did you put on the armor of God this morning? How many of you got up this morning? Don't raise your hand. I'm going to ask you a question. If you're all in, how many of you got dressed spiritually this morning? I can see that you all have clothes on, and I'm glad for that. Physically, you did. Did you get dressed spiritually today? 
or did you walk through the spiritual battlefield in your speedo? Seriously, listen to me. This isn't, this isn't a game that you just kind of play like, I'll be okay. We're in a war and the enemy's real. But greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And we must have our battle gear with us. The word of God trumps lies and we must forcefully take every thought captive. Why? Because the place that you're in right now, every place that you find yourself in, that's where your best thinking has gotten you. And so if you want to remove yourself from that spot and that place, then you have to think and respond differently. You need a new kind of thinking. Then I said this, turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, and I reminded us that love covers over all. 1 Peter chapter 4, please turn there, follow along. 1 Peter chapter 4. I said this in verse 7 and verse 8. We read it and we'll read it again. And I'm going to ask you, how are you doing? First Peter chapter four, verses seven and eight. Peter said, the end of all things is near. Therefore be alert of sober mind so that you may pray. Then he said this in verse eight, above all love each other. What? What's the word? Because love does what? What's it say? Over a multitude of what? So I pulled out this heart. And on this heart, I said, are there places in your heart? Are there corners of your heart where you're still holding grudges? Can you name someone? Maybe right now, she did that to me. He did that to me. Those people did that. That teacher, that coach, that friend, that neighbor, he let his dog come in my yard and do his thing. And I don't like that. And I don't like him. And I'm still holding. Do you still? And we, we had these corners of our heart. When I, then I took a, a paintbrush and I said, love covers over a multitude of sins. And then I reminded of us of this truth. That Jesus promises when we confess our sins to him, that he will forgive us of our sins as far as the east is from the west. Amen to that? And we are to do the same for him. Love has a short memory and zip lips. And when you love like Jesus did, you refuse to bring to public another person's sins. Love keeps no records of wrongs, even those things in the corners of our hearts. And then I said this, if you're still bringing up and holding on the faults of someone else, that fault finders are always gossipers. Show me a gossiper, I will show you a critical fault finder who doesn't know how and has chosen not to forgive someone. No, no, not in 2016. We said, Lord, I'm all in. Are you? Or is the Spirit of God right now saying, Woo, got some work to do? Listen, this is called the sanctification journey. And God's word is as alive on this day as it was a year ago. And our hope is that you are continually to be all in. Then we went to Romans chapter 8. Turn to Romans chapter 8 and look at verse 31. On this quest, I said this, God is not just with you, but he is for you. Romans chapter 8, 
And I said this in verse 28. It says, for we knew that in all things God works for the good of those that love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And then in verse 31, we read and we'll read again. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who could ever stand against us? God is not neutral towards us. And we brought out this fence. And on this fence... On each side of this fence was a reminder that you and I will have moments in our lives when the grass is brown, yet it looks so much better there. And we find ourselves in hardship and difficulty. And we try to, we went over there, God. I don't like where I'm at. And, but the word of God tells us that, that he will set up, he will, God will prepare a table in the presence of our enemy, a feast. And I said, stay here. It might look brown and it might be difficult and you might want to jump out, but stay where you're at, water and fertilize the brown because our good, what we think is good, isn't necessarily God's good. And there's only some things that God can teach us through the hardships. Do you agree with that? Yet we want to leave. God, let me out, let me out. But God promises to work all things out for good. God's good and our good are often not the same thing. And the most courageous thing you might ever do is to stay put instead of stepping out. The grass is always, isn't always greener over there. So let me ask you a question. How many of you tried to bail from it? Listen, if you don't learn your lesson here, guess what? You're coming back until you do. Learn it and watch God make you into the person he wants you to be. Then we went to John chapter five. Turn to John chapter five and I said, you have to want it. John chapter five, in order to become the person that God wants you to be, you have to want it. John chapter five, we saw this story. Look at verse one of John chapter five. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there in Jerusalem, near the cheek gate, a pool was there which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get what? What's the word? Well, sir, the invert replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and what? Walk at once. The man was cured and healed. He picked up his mat and walked. And I brought out this lawn chair. And I said this, and this is still true, hopefully not for you. I said, some of us are really good. We like sitting by the pool of complaint and telling everybody how horrible our situation is. And I told you this, that misery loves company. Then I said this, no one wants to continue to hear your sob stories because in Christ, you can have an attitude that overcomes that. And I said that this man most likely had went there day after day after day and potentially 
He had sat there for 10, 15, and 20 years, never to be hit. Why? Because he kept complaining. No one will let me in. No one will let me in. How come he gets to go? And Jesus just quite frankly asked him this question, which seems crazy. Why would Jesus ask someone who's been sitting by the pool that when the water stirred, if you walked in, you were healed? Why would he ask someone, do you want to be healed? It almost sounds like, like that's Jesus. Why would you ask that question? Why do you think he's here? Because Jesus knew something. He didn't want healed. He liked complaining. And Jesus said, if you really want healed, get up and walk. Finally, when he overcame in his mind, he wanted it. And I said these words that some of us, literally, literally, this is, these are some people. We need to get up off of our apathy and walk. <laughs> See, here's the problem for some of us. We like that chair. Some of you are really good at it. Poor me. It's horrible. I'm single, not married. I got to work this job. I got to go on it. 5 a.m. on Monday morning. What do you time you go to work? 8, eight o'clock. You don't know what's like. Complain, 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 complain. Some of us look at our lives and we know for certain that, that, that we're sure, we're not sure whose fault it is, but we know it can't be our fault. So we blame and we blame and we blame. Healing will never take place until we admit we have a problem and in Christ, he can do anything through us. Amen. The victory has already been given. And I wonder, that man sat there for 15, 20 years, wasted his life until finally he got up and said goodbye to the first Adam of sin and frustration and darkness. And he said yes to the second Adam, who is Jesus Christ, where he found freedom and hope and healing. Please, I said, don't end this year. In the same place you started. How are you doing? Then we went to this in closing. Hosea chapter one. Turn to Hosea chapter one. We went here and, and we talked about Hosea and Gomer. And we read this many verses, but we'll read verses chapter one, verses two and three. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman. What? And have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Deblame, and she conceived and bore him a son. And I said this, that grace always looks back, forwards, not backwards. And that reminded us of this truth, that God's grace always runs to our sin and not from it. And we were reminded that, that, that Gomer... He was willing to buy back his wife, who was an adulterous wife. He kept the kids. And there was this picture in this story where she's off living with other men. And she finally gets to the lowest of lowest point where she ends up on a slave auction block, head down, shoulders slumped. But God knew that, that, that Hosea had the grace of God in his heart. And so Hosea goes to this auction for slaves. Can you picture again? Gomer's in the back, feeling worthless, looking at her sin, concerned about what people think about her. And she came up next, number 166, Gomer. And they began to bid. And this hand kept going up, holding his children's hands. I'll buy her. And finally, the highest bid. And so she had to walk forward 
to see who had just bought her head down as she's walking up this, this between the chairs. And when she finally looks up, she sees her husband with the children, arms out, extending grace and saying, I choose not to hold the past against you. And the reality is this, we're harder on ourselves than, than God is. Grace knows your deepest secrets, but it never looks away. And I reminded us of this truth. I said, many of us have skeletons in our closets. And we think, God can never use me. I did this, and I said that, and I'm from this family and that family. Why would God ever? And so we balk. We think, God could never use me, much like Gomer was, I could never be bought back. I am no good. But I said that God goes to our closets and he cleans them. He removes the skeletons. And he says, by grace, you have freedom and forgiveness. Now walk in that power and be the person that God wants you to be. And the reality is this. God knows every skeleton that's in our closets and chooses not to remember them no more. Anybody, amen for that? Grace is often easier to give to someone than it is to give to ourselves. We need to take God at his word. So let me ask you a question. How are you doing? <laughs> you have work to do? And so we wrapped up this series with these testimonies, and I love them, and I'll cry again when I watch them, of people taking God's word to heart. Watch this. You know, in a lot of ways, over the years, I've had a lot of things that I've let just keep me bogged down and keep me sinking, and um, it was just time. I mean, just hearing everything that he had to say and what that message meant was just time to, to let those things go. I mean, it wasn't just one thing. It's multiple things that can sink your ship. You as a guy or as a man don't realize how much impact you have in your own home and how much the things that you allow to hold you back are holding your family back. And when you can finally release those things, um, we've seen my house catch on fire for Jesus in a way that's never happened. Uh, you know, we've, we've always been a church family. We've attended church, you know, religiously for years. And, uh, but we've never seen the kind of impact in our home that we've seen in the last couple months since I've personally let go of those things and, uh, and allowed myself to completely submit to Christ and, and be the man I was supposed to be. And with my wife and my kids seeing that now, it's making them be people that they've always wanted to be or what they should be. In the Bible, there is a paralyzed man, and they, his friends carried his stretcher through crowds and put him through the roof just to get him to Jesus. And Pastor Jim asked the question, do you have people that would carry your stretcher? Name four people. And I could only come up with three. So I reached out um, to someone that I knew, prayed a lot, um, just was always there for other people and that morning she actually had posted a message on her Facebook um, if you need anything or you need anyone please message me so I messaged her and we had a really long conversation that morning and at the end of that conversation she said Ashley I'll carry your stretcher I would challenge anybody who feels lonely um, I feel like Satan will put you in a spot to where you don't have anyone to go to. And we make our worst decisions when we don't have anybody around us, if we don't have community. So if you're feeling lonely, 
Our church is a big church, but there's a lot of people that really do care and reach out to someone. Jim said something, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And if you don't have good friends around you that care about your spirituality and what your relationship with is with Christ, then you're going to fail. And so you need to make sure that you're putting yourself in a good position by having good people around you. My now wife and I uh, have been living together for a couple months. And, you know, um, of course, one of the things that he talked about was people who um, they live together, uh, Christian couples, you know, it, it, it's still, it's sin, you know, and, you know, we sometimes we draw in our mind uh, the picture that, you know, well, I've, I know this Christian couple or I know that Christian couple and, and they, you know, they live together and they did fine, but, you know, it's it it's not right. When it hit me, it hit me hard and I knew that I needed to do something about it. You know, I want to create a godly home. I want to be a good Christian husband. I want to be a good Christian father. I want to be, I want to create a godly home. And so, and my son was sitting there with me. Um, and right when he got to that, you know, my son looked at me and his, the eyes were on me. And uh, you know, I knew I, I couldn't let it go. So um, we talked to uh, Ted uh, Rondu and uh, he agreed, you know, he says, hey, I'll marry you guys, you know. And then Brody and I, my son, we went home and we sat down and, and talked to my, my wife and, you know, and she agreed, you know, to for us to get married. So pretty much two weeks later, we, we eloped <laughs> and it, it was really cool. It was it was great. You know, I feel like God nudges us. Um, he gives us little nudges at times. And. You know, definitely, if, if you feel him, you know, call and, you know, answer, you know. Um, don't let it pass you by. Because I do think that it's worth it. I think that, you know, that, that accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior is probably, you know, definitely is. It is the, uh, it's the best thing, you know, ever. I had somebody that hurt me, and um, I carried that with me. I didn't talk about it. I just, it was there. Um, I, I thought about it and tried to shove it away, but it was still there. And uh, <laughs> it, it wasn't, it, it, it was a weight that I didn't need to carry. But when you, the Spirit speaks to your heart, you know, you, you jump on that. And um, when He tells you to forgive somebody, do it because. <laughs> That's your open door. You know, he stands at the door and knocks. That, that's your open door, and that, that's the moment. It, it's not worth holding on to anymore. I, I know what I've done. I know what I've been forgiven of. And uh, <clears throat> how can I hold a grudge against somebody when I know what Jesus has forgiven me for? Um, it, 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 he shouldn't forgive me of anything, and uh, yet he does. He still loves me and blesses me, and his, his love is too big to hold on to that grudge um his love is too powerful it's too real um you know he to just let go of that and um you know accept his love and just forgive people it, it really it really is freeing you know you really you ask for forgiveness but you really don't sense that forgiveness until you forgive others i mean that's that's what it's all about it was said that you know we don't get into heaven because we're holding on to jesus we get into heaven because Jesus is holding on to us. Um, and thank God for that, because it's easy in the difficult times to want to let go and just say this is too hard. 
and I'm just going to sit it out, and I'm going to wait it out, um, or to get angry with God. I have a wonderful husband, and our our marriage, albeit has not been a lot of fun in the last year and a half, has has never wavered. Um, neither one of us have ever thought of bailing out, um, but it doesn't mean that it isn't hard. Um, and I think we both knew through everything that God was with us and, and he was never going to leave our side. But after so long, you really start to wonder if he was, if he's for you. Um, and sometimes you do have to stay put and you do have to wait it out. And your reward on the other side is to become so much closer to Jesus. And that's the best thing of all. I'm reminded of one of my favorite Pastor Brown sayings of all time. In reality, no one wants to hear about your problems. And he said in the nicest way that he can get away with, in this world you will have struggles. So we all have them, and, and when all you do is focus on uh, your, your struggles in life, people don't want to hear about it. And so after a while, they're not going to want to hang out with you. So... I have discovered, and this message has highlighted to me, that if you just focus on what's wrong with your life, you're going to spend your days, you know, dark and lonely. I mean, it's real easy to just kind of stay in your comfort zone. You know, you want to sit by the pool and talk about your problems. You know, talk is cheap. It, it doesn't require any sacrifice, really, on our parts. It's just words, and you can... You know, everyone who's a Christian and a human can complain about something in their life that's unfair or, you know, their reality's not lining up to how they, they kind of wanted it to be. So you can sit and talk about it all day. That's easy. Sometimes it's hard to get up out of the chair and to press on into unfamiliar territory. The chair is familiar. and You know, the pool is familiar. It's easy. You, you've got to be willing to get up out of the comfy chair and strike out and maybe do some battle. I was Gomer. I was the one who left my family and I left my wife and three kids to chase uh, chase the happiness, to find something. And for almost three years, um, I was, my wife and I were separated. And Sharon was at home. She was with the boys. She was taking care of them. And, and the entire time that I was away, she was on her knees. She was praying for me. She never gave up hope that God would work in my life and bring me back. As the story goes on, Jim gets to the to, towards the end of the story of of Hosea going and buying Gomer and, and bringing her back. And Jim put it into context of today's terms of, of her being like at an auction and her being sold for a price and the auctioneer rattling off prices and somebody bidding and dropping out and in the back of the crowd, Hosea says, hey, I'll take her. I, I want her. And he calls out a price and, and he buys her. And, and as Gomer looks up and, and sees that it's Hosea and he's come back for her yet again. And the kids run to her and, and uh, you see this picture of this united, reunited family. And during the service, I just, I just kept crying because this was, it's like this story was read about me, but it was the husband and wife was flipped around. There was many a times in my relationship, um, in my marriage, and 
that through that, there was times where I felt like I couldn't continue, um, that I felt like there was no hope. Um, I remember crying out to God many times that it, that I was done and I couldn't do it anymore. Don't give up. Fight for your marriage, um, even when it's difficult to, to know that it's worth it and that God can get you through so much. Um, and he can give you that strength. And when you don't feel like you can do it anymore, it is God's strength that can get you through that. I'll say it again, but it was worth it, and it is it was worth fighting for our marriage. <laughs> Amen. Don't go alone. Strongholds must be broken. Love covers all. Jesus is not just with you. He is for you. Listen, you have to want it. Stop the announce. The Word of God tells us this, that we overcome the evil one by the Word of God and the power of our testimony. I know in this room there's hundreds of other stories, and maybe some of you are right there. Maybe you're right there, right here, right there, right here. Those messages that we preached a year ago are still true today. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that God can't overcome in your life if you just let him. You know, the reason I tell you these things and the reason I get up here week after week isn't because I get paid to do it. I believe it. (laughs) So I ask you again, are you willing, are you ready to let the Spirit of God take you to places that you thought you could never be. It's all about Jesus. And we find our comfort, we find our power, we find our hope in him. God, I pray today that as we go on this just simple pursuit, that we'd be reminded of the words that we're about to sing. This, this song is a declaration from our hearts, Lord, that we believe. And I pray, God, that when hardship comes, when someone wrongs us, when we want to sit by the pool of complaint, when we wonder if we have friends that will carry us, when we have these thoughts that come our way that want to dismantle us, when we keep looking at our own thoughts and sin, I pray, God, that we would be reminded of these truths again that with you and through you, we have hope. So God, as we sing this song, may this be a declaration from our hearts of what you can do and what you are doing. And may we always be a church like this. In Jesus' name, amen.